All right. Those of you that are staying in here in big church, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at the uh, first 11 verses this morning. It's a story there that I want to share with you this morning. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So Children's Church, you are dismissed to head on out. And uh, there are teachers there ready for uh, you. And then uh, those of you that are remaining, you will find in your Bibles Luke chapter 5. And we're going to uh, read together verses 1 through 11. So if you would, let's stand together as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. In Luke chapter 5, if you don't have your Bibles with you, it is on the screen for you. And here's what it says. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. And now when they had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and we have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down th thy net. And when they had done this, uh, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their nets break. And they beckoned unto the partners that were in the other ship that they would come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they would begin to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fish that they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Father, we ask that, Lord, as we hear the word of the Lord today, that we would be more than hearers only. James says that if we're, if we're hearers only, we, we'll walk away and we'll forget what we have heard. But if we are hearers and then doers, if we put to, to action the words in which we have heard, it will change our lives. So Lord, today, that is the message. Lord, help us to become more than just hearers of your word, to be doers that it might change our life and we might become useful for the kingdom's sake. So, Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, move me out of the way, let your word speak, and, and, and Lord, let the story be told today. And, Lord, may your people hear, and then, Lord, respond in obedience today, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. You may be seated. All right. Today, I want to share with you what does it look like for us to be useful. So, what does usefulness look like in our lives? So I want to start with the story. She wanted to help. And so, because she was a nurse, she joined 18 other medically trained people and journeyed to a impoverished, stricken third world country to help alleviate suffering. After working 16-hour days for two weeks, the clinic doors were closed. Utterly exhausted, she headed towards the bus for home. 
Glancing up, she saw hundreds upon hundreds of sick and injured people waiting outside the clinic for treatment that they would never receive. She began to weep. What's wrong? asked the nurse walking alongside her. We haven't even made a dent in the need. What's the use? Have we done any good at all? As she turned to enter the bus, a hand tugged at her sleeve. There stood a man she could scarcely recognize. Several days before, his face had been distended in gross tests from number of abscessed teeth. His feet were so swollen from edema that he couldn't even put on his shoes. They'd given him antibiotics and later pulled the abscessed tooth, and he stood before them smiling, pain-free, and shoes on his feet. He smiled widely, thrust a small bouquet of flowers into the nurse's hand, and simply said, thank you for saving my life. As the two nurses boarded the bus, the one said to the one who had been crying, looks like you made a difference for one. On the bus, the young nurse glanced out at the now dark harbor as a single light came on, then another and another until the other side of the harbor was ablaze with light. God whispered into her heart, this is how you make a difference, by treating my little ones one person at a time. The truth is, every one of us wants to be useful. We want to help. And when we see needs, we want to reach out and we want to make a difference. We want our lives to have an impact to leave this world in a better place than what we found it. For those of you that have been in this church for many years, you remember Howard Jones. One of Howard Jones' favorite sayings was that when I'm gone, I want people to remember that I've been here. And Howard lived his life in such a way that his life made a difference to those around him. We all want to be that way. We all want to make a difference in such that when we are no longer here, someone remembers that we have traveled through this land. None of us wants to squander our lives, to waste it in foolish and trivial uh, pursuits. We want to make an investment that would make an eternal difference, to champion a cause, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. To bring a little kindness to a kindless world. To promote needed change. Even if it ends up being only one person at a time. We all strive to make a difference. I want to talk to you today about what does it look like for our lives to be considered useful for the kingdom of God. What must we consider? What must our lives look like so that we are not just living life, but as Jesus reminds us in John chapter 10, that I didn't come just to give you a, an existence in this world, but I came to give you a life filled with abundant joy, abundant satisfaction, abundant opportunity, and abundant challenges so that you can make a difference. The first thing I want us to see is a journey to usefulness begins with a simple act of obedience. Look at verse 5, if you would, with me. In verse 5, we find that, that he says, And Simon answering and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night 
and have taken nothing. Now here's the key that I want you to, 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 I want to begin to embed in your brain and in your heart. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Nevertheless, Lord, at whatever it is you're asking me to do, I will do it. Simon was no different than any of us. He had been out in the Sea of the Galilee all night fishing. As his boat lumbered in from the fishing expedition, his stomach was not only empty, so was his vessel. It had been a frustrating night in which much work but to no avail. He and the others stretched their nets out on the beach to clean out the seaweed, the barnacles, and the debris. He hurried because he was frustrated and ready to go home and dream about a new day, a better day, a hope of a bigger catch tomorrow. As the fishermen were placing the now cleaned and dried nets back into the boats, a commotion was heard over the grassy knoll. Simon looked up. A throng of people were walking towards the boats. As the crowd got closer, Simon recognized the leader of the pack as Jesus. Earlier, Simon had met Jesus. He had witnessed this young prophet heal his mother-in-law from a high fever. And there was something special about this man. He was a different maker. Everywhere that he went, people were different. As Jesus arrived to the water's edge, he turned and addressed the crowd. He taught them with authority, not as uh, the Pharisees or the scribes. His explanation of Scripture brought the Word of God to life. His message was articulate and captivating. He seemed to have a unique way of making a common and ordinary subject into a significant meaning. People were inspired and moved by his messages. I know we all wish that Jesus was here teaching today. So much that the crowd grew greater, larger and larger on the cool morning. As they pressed for room to hear the teacher, the crowd was now forcing Jesus into the shallow edge of the water. Simon and the others had a perfect seat sitting in their boats away from the crowds. Jesus, seeing the opportunity, turned to Simon and asked, could he use his boat as a platform to speak? Simon You'll roll out just a little ways, then everyone can hear. Simon agreed. From this vantage point, Jesus continued the lesson. Picture in your minds the scene here. The crowd on the beach and the banks that enclose the harbor while Jesus is sitting in the boat teaching. Think about it. Where was Simon? Simon was in the boat with Jesus. Simon was a captive audience. You know, every Monday I kind of joke with my folks up at Forest Ridge, they're a captive audience. Once I get them in there, they can't leave until I tell them they can go. You know, well, you know, you're a captive audience in a way. You can leave, but, you know, I recommend you don't. (laughs) Simon, being a captive audience, the crowd was, was there. The crowd simply were bystanders. While they did not know it, they were simply eavesdropping in on a conversation that Jesus wanted to have with Simon. 
This was a a conference between Simon and Jesus. That may have happened with, with, with you even this morning. God may be speaking directly to you as we continue on with this message, even though the message is going out to everyone in the room. As Simon sat there spellbound, Jesus quickly brought this lesson to a stirring conclusion by saying to Simon, let's go fishing. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Notice that Jesus doesn't offer a suggestion here. This wasn't, Simon, what are you thinking? You know, maybe, would you like to try it? It's a command. Simon, let's go fishing. Push out into the deep. Let down your net. Notice what Simon did not say. He could have said, Jesus, now, uh, don't tell me how to fish. I'm the professional fisherman. You're the preacher. You're an amateur at this, at best. He didn't say, Jesus, you stick to preaching and I'll stick to fishing. I know the best fishing spots and the most favorable conditions of making the big catches, even though I came in last night with absolutely nothing. He didn't say, you don't have a right to tell me what to do. He simply said, at thy will, I will obey. Jesus was still teaching a lesson, even though Simon Peter didn't realize it. But it was a lesson not of how to catch fish, but on an act of something that we all need in our life, a simple act of obedience. An act of being a difference maker. While there are certain rules for fishing, there are certain rules that are higher. These are God's rules. I believe that all of God's rules are designed to protect us from harming ourselves, keeping us from hurting others, and to cause us to be rescued from wasting our lives. The lesson that Simon was learning that day in obedience was simply a lesson of usefulness, a way for Simon to learn how not to waste the rest of his life. It was a test to see if he had what it took to be a difference maker. He had just heard Jesus talk about the laws that keep us from squandering what God has given us, such as being the salt and the light of the earth, being the light of the world, staying clear of the applause of men and doing good deeds constantly, letting people know that He lives in us. In a phrase... God was calling Simon to be a difference maker in the world in which he lived in. And out of respect, Simon looked at Jesus and said, Master, and he did what he was told. And the catch was so large that the other boats had to be summoned for help. In fact, the catch was so massive, the portions uh, uh, that were taken into the boat began to sink them both. The fishermen worked in a slack-jawed amazement as to what they were viewing and what they were experiencing. These men had witnessed what we would call today, and they did at that day, a miracle. They were in the presence of deity. Simon knew it. This was no mere man. He fell at the feet of Jesus and acknowledged that he was sinful and Jesus was God. 
This Jesus was not simply just another preacher with a power to heal. He was the Lord of the sea and the fish and every realm of the entire universe. Simon threw himself down, recognizing that he himself was not worthy to be in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, there is no reason to be afraid. But do you want to spend the rest of your life catching fish? Or do you want to invest in something much, much bigger? You have only one chance to make your life count. You can make a difference in this broken world. But what will you do? Yes, Jesus was speaking to Simon, but he's speaking to us as well. Those questions are for us today. We live in a broken world. We have one chance to live this life. One chance to make a difference. One chance to leave behind a legacy. What will we do? Well, let me tell you what Simon did. The Bible tells us here that Simon pulled his boat to the shore, still stuffed with the largest catch of fish that he had ever caught in all of his life. He had it made. But yet the Bible says that he got the boat to shore, walked away from it all, and followed Jesus. Now, before you say in your mind, that's great, preacher. That was great for Peter. But what does that have to do with me? I want to say to you, everything. God wants all of us to be useful right where we are. The question that we really need to be asking this morning is, do I want to be useful? And what does it really look like in my life? What does being useful for the kingdom of God look like for me. The second thing that I want you to see, and now we'll move from the narrative of the story to the meat of the word. If we're going to be useful in this world for the kingdom's sake, if we're going to be useful for God, if He's going to look upon us and say, you are a useful vessel for me, Moving yourself beyond the wastefulness of living our lives every day to usefulness is so important. Look at verse 11 of chapter 5. And so it was, oops, yeah. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they had forsake all and followed him. Found in the story found in the narrative of the text, are several truths and insights that help us to move beyond the wastefulness. Now what I mean by that is just living our everyday lives and saying, I've just got to get through today. How many of us are guilty of saying that more than we should? What that says is that we're living in the everyday of life instead of the usefulness of life. We're saying, I've just got to make it through this week. I've just got to get through this time. We're living in a life of wastefulness. 
We must move beyond the wastefulness of just living every day, trying to get through it to a usefulness, a life of more abundance where we say, God, you're in control of everything. God, you're leading my every all. I'm following wherever you're leading. Where you want to make a difference in this world, I want to be a part of it. The key, my friends, is found in one word and one word only. And we're going to look at that word in several ways today, and that word is obedience. You see, the importance of of living a useful life is the importance of recognizing that our life has to be obedient to the things that God has said. How many of us have planned our days? How many of us have planned our lives? How many of us have said, this is what I want it to look like? Instead of saying, God, I surrender all to you. I want to be yours. I want you to live through me and for me and with me. I want to be all that you want me to be. The key is obedience. And the first key to obedience is obedience leads to true freedom. Now listen, this is what I mean. This one's probably the hardest one for all of us to swallow. We think that we know all there is to know about freedom. We live in the land of free. We want to believe that we are liberated people. Now let me just explain what I mean by that. We see it in the news every day. That no one should have the right to tell me how to live my life. If I want to abort a baby, I have the right to abort a baby. If I want to do this, I have the right to do that. We are free to do whatever we want. Listen, my friends. The devil has filled us with a hogwash load of garbage. He has told us that that we have freedom to break the rules. We have freedom to make the rules. We have the freedom to be able to live however we want to live and do whatever we want to do. But Jesus teaches us obedience is following the rules. Jesus says that freedom comes not from breaking the rules, but to yielding to the rules. You see, for the Christian, freedom comes through yielding our will to God and to obey a set of rules that He Himself has given unto all of us. Jesus stated it very clearly in John chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus did not mince words at all. Obedience to Christ and his word are not one of the things that we should do. They are one of the most distinguishing marks of every Christian. As with Simon, Jesus is not suggesting obedience. He is simply demanding it. Following Christ involves another kingdom, the kingdom of God. A kingdom has a king, and a follower is to be obedient to that king, and we are to follow King Jesus wherever he leads. Throughout the Bible, there are written commandments. Most notably are those that we all know called the Ten Commandments. Our world knows them. They even have them posted in certain places. The problem is we know them, but we don't follow them. 
We decide whether or not that we want to follow a commandment or not. We decide whether or not we want to compromise or change the level of that commandment. But let me just remind you of the wording here. When Jesus gave us the Ten Commandments, He didn't give us the Ten Suggestions. He didn't give us the Ten Alterations. He gave us Ten Commandments to follow as His people so that we might live a life separate from those that are disobedient to Him. Now I know that it's impossible for us to obey all of the Ten Commandments. I know that, that none of us except for Jesus has ever been able to do that. But I want you to understand that the problem isn't the fact that the Ten Commandments are given and we can't obey them all. The problem is that we're willing to ditch them all to do our own will over His will. So be reminded that, that when Jesus gives us commandments in His Word, it's not for us to suggest, it's not for us to alter, it is simply for us to obey. Obedience. So what does obedience demand of us? Obedience demands first and foremost that we take action. We must always remember that hearing is not the same as acting. Hearing is not action. Action is what we do once we've heard what we have been told. Peter had heard the message of Jesus. He was a captive audience to it. But Jesus, as with all of us, as listeners, desires for him to do more than simply just listen to what he has said. He wants us to act. James reminded us to be, to be a, a, a hearer of the word only is ineffective. We must hear the word and then be doers there of the word. There must be action. Consider the story of the tightrope walker who was rolling a wheelbarrow back and forth across the Niagara River on a tightrope. Thousands of people were shouting him on. He had put 200 pound sack of dirt in the wheelbarrow and rolled it over and then rolled it back to the amazement of all the people. Then he turned to the crowd and said, how many of you believe that I can roll a man over the falls? And boy, everybody shouted, and one man was so excited in the front row, he was just saying, yes, yes, I believe, yes. And the, the man rolling the wheelbarrow turned to the excited friend and said, then you're next. The crowd could not see the man for the dust that he was leaving behind as he was running away. He heard. He said he believed. But he didn't back it up with any actions. You see, the reality is that we can say that we hear what God is saying. We believe what God is saying. But if we're not backing it up with action, we didn't hear Him and we don't believe Him. Peter sat in the boat with Jesus. He listened to his words. He believed in him. But now it was time for Peter to act upon what he said that he believed. Contrary to the tightrope walker, he acted on what he believed. Obedience is faith in action. It is transposing the promises and provisions of Christ's word into service and acts of obedience. 
Have you ever noticed that in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't commonly go around and ask his believers, do you believe me? Do you believe me? No. <clears throat> he told them what they needed to hear, and then he said, follow me. Don't just say you believe. Don't just say you know me. Don't just say you love me. Get in the wheelbarrow and follow me. Someone has well said this. <clears throat> what I believe, I do. And the rest is just religious talk. I think that's so true. A whole lot of us know how to talk religiously. But can we back up what we say we believe with action? Now the third thing that we see is obedience causes us to move out of our comfort zone. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What an acknowledgement. Jesus took Peter right out of his comfort zone. Put him right in the midst of reality. Peter was comfortable fishing at night along the seashore. But to be asked to be launched out into the deep during the day, that's another story. That's just outside of my comfort zone. That's just outside of my reach. Lord, I don't know about all of this. I, I came on to be a pew sitter, not to actually serve and help the children, not to teach a Sunday school class, not to be a, an upstanding citizen to become a deacon. Lord, I just came to, to, to ride out the time so that when I die, I get to go to heaven. Not really to go out into the highways and byways and tell people about you. That's for other people. It's time that we realize that obedience must take us out of our comfort zone or it's just being comfortable. We're not serving when we're comfortable. I love to pray the prayer, Lord, trouble the comfortable and comfort the troubled. Too many of us are comfortable. Too many of us are, are, are comfortable just coming Sunday after Sunday and checking a box that I was here and God ought to be impressed with that. But Sunday, Monday through Saturday, I do my thing, and then on Sunday, I show up. Peter could no longer just be comfortable. The unfortunate part is that most of us live in the shallow waters of life, simply exist on the superficial level. There's little depth to their spiritual lives because they're content to just pray around at the edge, never going into the deep water. Why? Not too many people ever drowned in the shallow water. You know, it's not until you get out in the deep that you start taking risk. It's not until you get out there beyond your control that you actually have to depend upon someone else outside of yourself. It's not until you take a risk that you realize that you're no longer in control. They think if I get out into the deep water, there might be some waves. 
Someone might rock the boat, and I might turn over. I'm not the best swimmer. You know. Well, listen, I mean, if I get out there and, 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 and try to tell somebody about Jesus and they ask me a hard question, I might not have the answer. Hello? I don't have the answers oftentimes either. We simply just say, you know what, that's a great question. I don't have an answer for that, but I'm going to pray about that because, boy, I'd like an answer to that myself. You know, people are really okay with that kind of answer. You know, they, they, they ask the question, but if we don't know the answer, and as long as we're willing to pray about maybe coming up with the answer, they're good with that. God's call is to obedience. And God's call to obedience always involves taking a risk to leave our comfort zone. To step out into the deep. Only those people who are willing to follow their Lord lead into the deep waters ever head towards making a difference in this world. Staying in your comfort zone, staying in the shallow water, staying in your pew will never make a difference. Only then Will we see God for who He is and what He can do with us when we surrender control to Him? The fourth thing that we see is obedience means trusting even when it doesn't make sense. I don't know about you, but this one's the one that got me. We've been living in some crazy times the last two years. We've had all kinds of scientific things thrown at us. We've had all kinds of theories thrown at us. We've had the church shut down. We've had businesses shut down. We've had um, lives cease. We've had loss of life. Boy, it's been a... It, it, it has been a time of uncertainties, it's been a time of, of questions, it's been a time of not knowing where and who to trust. But when it comes to the things of God, we need to understand that obedience means trusting even when He doesn't make sense. I preached this a few weeks ago when we can't explain God we can't see the hand of God moving in the situation, remember, we can always trust the heart of God. So important. You know, there was nothing more logical about, or nothing logical about returning to the open sea for Peter and going fishing again after he had been skunked all night long. As a matter of fact, to Peter it was absurd but Jesus says, go, and Peter said, I think that the key here is this phrase. Listen to what it says. Because you say so, I will let down my net. Why can we take Jesus at his word? Why can we simply act when it doesn't seem to make sense to us? 
Because Jesus' perspective on our life is always greater than our own. We look through life in, in such a narrow perspective, but God looks at what is going on from the past, the present, and the future. He knows. For all of us who have driven a car and have driven at night and turned on our headlights because we wanted to see what was down the road. Now, how many of you have ever drove at night without your headlights? How many of us have been crazy teenagers to say, let's see if we can do that? Oh, yeah, sure, you won't acknowledge it, but I do. Well, what a difference when we turn on the headlights. We now get to see beyond the hood of the car. We get to see out a little further. And then, you know, some brilliant guy decided, you know, wait a minute, just having a headlight out there is great, but, but we need to see a little further down the road. So they created what we call the high beams. We turn them bad boys on and we get a little extension on what we get to see. But you see, here's the thing. Just turning on the headlights, whether on regular or on, on high beam, there is a limit to what we get to see. Sometimes God allows us to have the high beams on and we get to see a little further down the road as to what life is going to look like. But you know what? There comes a point when the, the, the beam of the light begins to fade and now there is darkness and we can't see what's beyond that until we get there. Isn't it great to know that God sees beyond what we see? Isn't it great to know that, that what we don't know, God knows? Isn't it good to know that what we, what we don't know is around the bend? God knows I've got you around the bend. When we think about what it means, we understand that we look at it from a short perspective, but God sees the whole road all the way to the end. Where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. You and I can obey him simply because he sees it all and he knows it all. The most powerful test for any of us of obedience is to do those things that don't seem to make sense just because Jesus said, do them. And then lastly, as far as that, now I'm not done, that's just this next last point of what it looks like. Obedience is in a little ways, always leads to bigger opportunities. You know, last week we enjoyed the, the, the baptism of four folks who came forward and made a public profession. And when I share with them, I always tell them that the first act of obedience as a believer is the act of following a believer's baptism. It's the most simple process. You see, the thing is that, that we can't expect God to ask us to do something greater if we haven't even done the most basic of obedience. Listen, think about it, teenagers that are in the room. If you ever want to start driving mom and dad's car, listen to me well. Start showing an, an obedience to the small things. So that when it comes to you allowing you to take that automobile, that 2,000 pound beast out onto a highway of crazy people, they can say, you know what? If I tell you to go to the store and back, 
I know that you will because you were obedient in these things. But if they can't trust you in a the little, they're not going to give you the keys to the car. It's not going to happen. So if that applies to a teenager, what does that mean to you and I? God's saying the very same thing. If you want to be useful in the bigger things of the kingdom of God, start obeying me in the smaller things of the kingdom of God. The fact is, Simon obeyed in the simplest thing. He obeyed Jesus when he asked to use his boat for a pulpit. He obeyed Jesus when he asked him to launch out into the deep. Now he was in the position for a greater usefulness and difference making by obeying Jesus to not catch fish, but to go out and catch men for Christ. Jesus was calling Peter to the greatest task of sharing the good news of Jesus to a world in need. God is calling all of us to a greater task. But he says, if you want to get there, you've got to first start acting in obedience in the smaller things. Many people want to do something really big for God, but unfortunately they're not obeying God where they already are. Until we are obedient in the little things, God can't use us in the big things of life. The reality is that if you're not making a difference of God where you are, then it is ill-likely that if He gives you a greater responsibility, a greater calling, a greater privilege, that you'll do for Him there what you're not doing for Him here. Years ago when I was getting mission teams ready to go and taking them across the water to foreign lands, one of the things that I required of them, no matter what they were going for, was that they had to, to show that they had the, the, the will to go and to reach their neighbor or their friend or someone here with the gospel before I ever took them thousands of miles over the sea to a land that they've never been, to a people that they didn't know and expect them to go over there and tell them about Jesus uh, and if they wouldn't even go across the street. You see, the reality is God doesn't send us on the bigger trips until he sent us across the street. If you want to be found faithful, if you want to be useful for the kingdom's sake, listen to what God is calling you to do today. You see, the truth is, a baseball player knows that he may possess the skills to play in the minor leagues, but he's got to play there before he can ever be moved up to the big leagues. A manager knows that an employee might have what it takes, but he starts them off small before he moves them to management positions. God is the same way. So let me wrap this up by asking this question. What is keeping you from a life of obedience? What is keeping you from doing what God is calling you to do right where you are so that you can make a difference? And that as you make a difference, then God can say, now I want you to do this, and now I want you to do that. See, I don't know if you noticed, but in the story of Simon, there was one physical feature that was present in every step of every scene in the story. Anybody know what it was? 
the boat. Now, why is the boat significant? Well, because of what it represents and what it says to us. You see, in, in the story, the boats were at the water's edge. Jesus preached from the boat. The miracle was performed on the boat. Peter's confession was made in the boat. And the final scene is that, Jesus, or that Peter walks away from the boat. I think that the boat is highly significant in this story for this reason. Because the boat represents Simon's livelihood. That which his business, his security, his peace of mind, his future, everything that he thought about what was useful was wrapped around his boat. And God was simply saying to him, Simon, what's more important to you? Your boat or serving me? The question that the Lord might be asking you today may not have anything to do with a boat, but it has something to do with something in your life. Something that is taking the priority away from God. Something that you're holding on to, something that you're in need of, something that you're holding to, something that you don't want to let go of, it's keeping you from obeying God. God wanted us to see that there is always something that we need to let go of in order to trust Him. Simon's boat was simply keeping him from a life of total and complete obedience. His boat and what it represents was preventing him from living out a fully devoted life of success in the kingdom of God. So what is it in your life? What is it that's keeping you? What is it that you've wrapped your security in? You've wrapped all of your, your, your doing in? What is it that's preventing you from saying, Lord, there's nothing stopping me from serving you? What about you? What's keeping your life from being a life of usefulness for the kingdom's sake. If you and I are being honest today, we have to ask the question, what is standing between you and a life of obedience? What's preventing you from making a difference for eternity's sake? When it comes to obedience, there is no middle ground. Once you have heard the Lord speak, you either act in obedience or you act in rebellion against His obedience. We either obey or we disobey. What are you doing today? That's the question. If you want to be useful, if you want your life for the kingdom's sake, to be something greater than what it is today, then are you willing to follow in an act of obedience? Jesus is calling. He said, the fields are wide unto harvest. The laborers are few. So what does he tell us to do? Forget the harvest? Nope. 
Just do what you can? No. Nope. Pray ye unto the Lord of the harvest that he will call out laborers into the field. My prayer is God. We need laborers into the fields. We've got enough people sitting in pews. We need people out working for the kingdom's sake. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word, for the lesson that you taught Peter that teaches us, for the prayer that you told us to pray. I pray today that the Lord of the harvest call out laborers, workers, into the field, into the work of the church, to do the work of Christ, to go out into the world, highways and the byways, compel them to come in. Lord, I pray that you would use us, that whatever's hindering us from that, taking that step of obedience would be removed. And then, Lord, we would see how you open up opportunities for us to obey. Hear us now, O Lord, as we pray. Let your spirit, Father, move in such a way that Christ would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you just